He's taking pictures of it, of the notes. Um, so we're going to pick up in 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, we'll go ahead and open in prayer. And I just want to, we'll, then we'll read. Um, we'll read through verses 8, but I'm sure we won't get that far. So um, let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love. And Lord, I thank you for sanctification that comes through obedience. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to do that today, to be complete, uh, to be made perfect in your eyes and to be holy before you. And Lord, I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. First, uh, First Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter 4. He says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of the Lord Jesus, excuse me. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this manner... No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So last week we had gone through verses 1 and 2, and we were working on verse 3, um, and we were talking about God's will, it's God's will to sanctify you. And so we left with these questions, these two questions, um, it is God's will, or is it God's will, I see now that I'm reversed those two words, is it God's will? For us to be sanctified. Um, first of all, does anybody does does everybody know what the word sanctified means? Is there anybody who do you not understand what that what's that? Run me through. Run you through? Okay, so sanctified. You have a good explanation? Right. 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 So what I wrote down here, the the Greek word, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, it is hagasmos, and that's spelled H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S, and it means to purify or to be made holy. And so, like what you said, that's that's easy for me to understand because. The word set apart, at first you kind of go, what do you mean set apart? And so when you go to the grocery store and you have a list of things that you're going to get and you have a menu that you're going to put them on. So you get these things, maybe you're baking Christmas cookies or this or that, and you buy a, four bags full of kisses and you put them in the cupboard and Trekker comes and says, oh, candy. <laughs> and he starts opening and mom says, no, those are for this purpose. 
that is a kind of a picture of sanctification. Okay, now you're saved. You've been bought with a price. You are for Jesus Christ. This purpose. Okay, so that's kind of what that's for. To be made holy means you study the gospel, you study the Bible, uh, you, you have spiritual influence from people, your, your spiritual leaders and that kind of thing, and you are being made holy. You are changing the way that you make decisions about your life. And so that is also a picture, an accurate picture of being sanctified. Right, you're being made holy, and you're doing. And you're, the purpose is, the purpose is to serve Christ, for His purpose. So, right, right, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and the same goes true for training up a child. You train up a child so that they know and understand. And, and learn to follow God's purpose for their life. So, uh, <clears throat> in, uh, in your notes there, I've got down, the will of God is clearly set forth in Scripture, even though many Christians often have difficulty applying it in everyday decision-making. Uh, about the middle of the page in verse 3 there. So if you look at 1 Peter 2 for a moment, Yes. First Peter chapter 2, and we read 15 and 16. He says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So as I read through that, there's, there's two words in there that are often used as slang words in our culture today um, that I think kind of distort a little bit of what the scripture says. So when he says, uh, live as free people, but they do not use your freedom, or excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 15, for it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. What would be an example of ignorant talk? Yeah, everyone goes to heaven. We're all God's children. Um, so ignorance, the root word of the word ignorant is ignore. You ignore the truth. You, you take the truth and you put it aside and you say, well, this is my truth. We've heard that today, right? This is my, uh, you know, this is my feeling. Um, so to ignore truth, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean stupid or that kind of thing but it's it's taking what we already have we read last week we read second peter chapter one and we we read that god's divine nature has given us everything we need for a holy life and so to ignore that we make ourselves ignorant or uninformed about truth so foolish people foolishness you could say is defined as knowing what the truth is and choosing not to do it. So ignorant talk would be saying things to convince someone else to, to follow something other than what truth is. 
Um, That is very true as well. Yeah, so there's, there's multiple sides to, the, to, the whole, to that whole conversation. Um, and so if we, if we were to go back to the bottom line of even uh, what, what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, that eternity is in the heart of every person. It's created inside of us. So when we look outside and we see the snow falling from the ground, or snow falling to the ground. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tr I'm trying to talk and and be reminded of the verse. Ah, I, I I just read it not too long ago. But there's a passage of scripture in Job where he says something to the effect of of how can you know where I the storehouses of the snow is? I and I know I'm butchering the verse, but you've probably heard it before. Um, you know, he's he's asking the questions about. He's asking Job about the questions about creation. How do you even know, you know, what you're talking about when I'm the one who has, you know, you think of a blizzard and it's all right here in my hand and I just go poof. Huh? And to us, it's, cat it's catastrophic. Um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right, and so we're going to get into that exact picture here pretty soon, um, and, and we can talk about it right now, actually, if you want to. Um, but when we get into, we're, there's a couple of passages in Colossians that we're going to look at um, in a few minutes, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit further. But anyway, how, uh, before we get there, how does sanctification happen? Obedience. Okay, so obedience to God's word. And so to have obedience to God's word, you have to read God's word. You have to understand God's word. You have to listen to it when it's being taught, um, which puts the, 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 some of the responsibility, like Jim was saying, of teaching. Teaching and being taught and understand is our responsibility. So if we look at Hebrews 10, we're going to look at a number of passages that talk a little bit about this. Um, Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 14. And the first few passages we look at are going to be a little difficult to see the picture until we get through all of them and come full circle with it. So bear with me on that, if you would, please. Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 14, right? So he says, when, But when this priest had offered for all, excuse me, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has, been, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So that, ex that expression or that description, being made perfect, is, is describing being sanctified. So are we perfect individuals? No, we're, we're sinless and we're imperfect. Can we live from today forward sinless? 
<laughs> can. Realistically, we probably won't, but if God's divine nature has provided everything for us to live a holy life, the opportunity and the potential is all there only because of Jesus Christ. So if we step into obedience, um, the first question on Wednesday night, does God have permission and authority to change anything and everything in our life? If the answer is yes, then that means the opportunity to live sinlessly perfect from today forward is possible, and it's only possible, though, through obedience to what he says. So, it's, it's made possible by Christ. That's why I said unrealistic. Is it, is it unrealistic that that would happen? Yeah, it is unrealistic. Why? Because I still am in the world. I'm still affected by everything around me. But if I choose to give God 100% of everything, the opportunity to live sinlessly perfect from today forward. You can't go back and change anything in the past, but from today forward, we have that opportunity. We have that, um, that potential and that ability is all there. If it weren't, then we couldn't say that Jesus covers every sin. He did, he's not able to. Um, and so you look like you want to say something. No? no? Okay. <laughs> So that's, that's why I say, is it unrealistic? Probably, because has anybody here, has, has any of us ever observed that happening? From the time they gave their life to Christ, they were 100% never sinned. Now we understand the process of sanctification. Because we are going to probably fall and make a mistake. But the problem is, where, where the issue is, is if we continue to fall to the same thing over and over again and go, oh man, I blew it again. Oh man, I blew it again. Why can't I resist the devil? Why can't I resist? Why doesn't he run away from me when I resist him? Because we have not set Christ apart as Lord yet over that one. Right. Right. So why do I keep, why do I keep telling lies to people? Okay, if I, you know, if that's, if that's the, the issue that I struggle with, you know, huh? Yeah, if that's, if that's the, if it's, that's the major struggle that you have or major sin that you struggle with, you know, why do I keep doing that? Because I don't see that person the way Jesus does anymore and I don't think they need to know the truth. Why do I lie to my wife when I get home? Because I don't want her to know that I had a sandwich on the way home. That's, and that's the bottom line. It's selfish. And, and, and so that's just a simple picture. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, the world will tell you that, it's, that if the end, the, that the end justifies the means. So if your goal is to, to, oh, I don't want my wife to feel like I don't want her to eat her dinner, so I'm going to tell her, oh, I'm starving. When I get home, when the reality is, I was starving when I left work, and I just need to, uh, and then, yeah, yeah, he, he says in Romans, uh, I don't remember if it's Romans 8, Romans 7, he, yeah, he says, I, I do the things I don't want to do, but I don't do the things that I want to do, um, 
And so what he's describing there is that even though I want to follow Christ, I want to do everything, the flesh is right here going, yeah, but don't you want to do this? And enticing you. Don't you want to do, you know, I know I should eat healthy. Yeah, but cookies are good. <laughs> you know, just one more. It's not going to hurt. You know, though, and, and that's just an easy picture. That's not saying don't ever eat cookies again because it's a sin or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But that's how the serpent got Eve. But look at it. It Doesn't it look delicious? I can almost imagine what it tastes like. Well, no, you can't because it's better than what you do. Just take a little bite. <laughs> well, see, and that's a good question. Adam and Eve walked with God, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So, it's us, right? Right. Right. So Adam chose to trespass. Right. And for us also with the Holy Spirit, so every time we do sin, we taste the sin. Right. Right. And James, I think, says very similarly the same type of thing. Um, so, yeah, and that's that's 100%. I agree with that. So, so if we go to Second Peter, chapter one again, um, we were there last week, and we read. Verses 3 and 4, and uh, I would say probably. Right. <coughs> right. Right. And so the and and I can just give you my own experience. I come home from work, I sit down in the chair, I get done eating dinner, and I go, ha. Ah. And that still small, I, I, and I know this is Old Testament when you talk about the still small voice, but the Holy Spirit in you says, let's read. And I go, oh, there's dishes to be done. There's food to put away. So, okay. So, our household chores. No. No, no, no. No, that's, and that's where the importance of Psalm 90 comes in you know, like when we were talking about making a calendar. For me, I have set times. Lord, what do you want from me for my Bible study time, for my prayer time, for my investing in people's lives and things like that? You put those in place first, and then I put my household chores, my work, 
uh, cleaning up the yard, all of that stuff has to revolve around that. When my, when my kids call, unless it's an emergency, um, I have one that calls, what do I do about this every day? What do I do about this? What do I do? And there's two things that I've made clear to all three of my kids recently because of the things that I've been learning as I've been taught and as I've been studying the scripture is you don't call me after eight o'clock at night anymore unless it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, yes, call me and I'll be there. That's a different situation. Eight o'clock to nine o'clock is my wife's time. That's it. If you call me at that time, I'm, you're not going to get me to answer probably um, unless you call me and call me again and then send me a text message, call me right away, you know, or something like that. Um, but then after that, I'm sitting down and I'm, and I'm reading. Uh, and most, most nights, and this is where I need work, because you're, you know that some nights I don't call Larry. And the reason why is because when I'm spending my time with my wife, all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm out. And I wake up sometimes at 11 o'clock and go, Ugh! So what I've had to do... Talking to him Huh? No, I'm, I'm having a conversation with my, I'm, my wife and I are having conversations and sometimes it's just, you know what, just, let's just sit here and be quiet together and being quiet. Next thing I know, she's asleep and I'm going, oh, this is so peaceful. This is so comfortable, you know, and I'm asleep and I don't get up after she goes to sleep and I don't get up and call him because I fell asleep and I'll wake up sometimes 10 or 11, you know, later and I'll send, <laughs> are you still up? Suddenly, <laughs> he usually is, but last two nights ago, it was, it was midnight, and I was like, Ugh. and I was up for three hours after that, and so I was like, oh, so anyway, the point is, is I'm not saying you neglect everything else, the point is, is that you, you put the things in place that have eternal value first, and then everything else goes around it, and when you put the things of eternal value first, God will make enough time for everything else. And, and the, the one example that I have for that is I used to have this old truck and I used to think, man, this thing's going to be a money pit. That old truck, as long as I was being faithful and, and it's not prosperity, I'm not saying prosperity gospel here or anything like that, but I was doing my best to do everything that God wanted me to do. And that truck would run. It would start every time. It was inexpensive to operate and drive. It had a hole in the floor. You couldn't put your feet down. But it did everything I needed it to do. And there was one night that I got angry with someone, and I let them have it. And I got in that truck, and I went down the road, and I'm going down the road, and all of a sudden it's going click, 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 and it died. And I went, okay, God, <laughs> you have my attention. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, so I don't say that to say that God does that every time, but there are times when I, when things like that do happen and I realize, wow, I really blew it. I didn't, I, did, I really wasn't acknowledging God to the person that I was angry with and the protection and the love and the, everything that he provides for us. And then, so I had to spend several hours and a couple hundred dollars to fix the old junk truck. So anyway, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Excuse me. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so is this on top of what you have, when you have already read? Or is this instead of? <laughs> and so, because the reason why I ask that is because God describes our relationship with Christ like a marriage. And if that's the case, I'm just giving you a little warning right here. If you try to multitask with your time with your future wife, it's not going to mean a whole lot. Okay? Hey, baby, let's go out tonight. Oh, while we're out, can we run into here and I'm going to do my thing while we're... No, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, you know, I don't say that to say that listening while you're doing other things is a bad thing. If, if you're doing your regular daily thing and you can listen to, absolutely. Praise God for that. But make sure that the things that you know God has set in place for your life are in place first. Yes. Let me teach you. Right. So to go from that, we have to go from I know this is spiritual to I know it's spiritual. So Paul said things like we do not wage war with the weapons of the world of Yeah. The We're gonna read that one. Every thought. And yep. So we know that it's in the Bible, that it's true. Yep. <clears throat> we can live, right, we can live holy. Right. Right. So that verse is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 at the bottom of your page. So I think Jim studies my notes <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how great my mind is, but great books. Yeah, there you go. Um, so anyway, yeah, second, second Peter one, and we start in verse five, he says, for this very reason, um, what reason, the reason that was given in verses three and four, um, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, affection, and to mutual affection, love. So I'm going to stop right there for just a second because I looked at that and I said, what's the difference between mutual affection and love? So mutual affection is uh, um, Philadelphia, Philadelphian, something like that, uh, and it means brotherly love, okay? Um, and then love is agapean, uh, which is a, a, um, a derivative um, of agapao, okay? It is from agapao. So it's, a, it's described as a love feast. So Romans 8, or excuse me, Romans 13, 8 and 9, it talks about um, don't let any debt remain outstanding except the debt to love. What does that mean? That means that there's con if there's a person in front of you, there is a debt to that person to love them. 
Um, and so that's what that's talking about. So anyway, he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you are being sanctified and taught and trained and exercising these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when he gets down to verse uh, 8, that epic note. Right. So that you won't be unproductive in the things you do. Right. So we're not sanctified and punished. Right. We're given the information to take home and, and do. Right. Right. And so that's where the sin of omission happens is between church and the next thing in life. You know, um, what we know and we understand, uh, putting it into practice. Um, yes. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep, so darkness will keep you out of the light, and light will keep you out of the darkness, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, amen, that's so true. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, I'm just going to give you a couple more passages, and, and I haven't even scratched the surface of the number of verses in the Bible um, with this small list here uh, that talk about being sanctified or being made holy and set apart for God's purpose. Yes, yeah, and so the, 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 the people that you put around you are usually a, the biggest influence in that. So um, 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll look at verses 12 and 13. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I want to stop right there. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like, wow, you know, I'm really growing, I'm really doing really well you know i've not had too many attacks and the ones that i have had i've been victorious i've i know i've answered and and responded correctly and my walk just feels really good have you ever been there <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so that's that verse he's saying don't ever give yourself a little pat on the back and go I can coast for a little while because then you're becoming the most vulnerable at that point in your life. So be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
So every temptation, just because it's a temptation, doesn't mean it's a sin. It becomes a sin when you choose to surrender to it and obey the temptation or satisfy yourself over satisfying God. So I mentioned Ecclesiastes before. It also says in Ecclesiastes that, that there is no sin that's new. There's nothing new under the sun is what he describes. And so when we come to God and say, but God, let me tell you about my situation. God's going, your situation is no different than when Jesus walked the earth. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted, well, he was only tempted three times, but in those three times, it encapsulated every temptation and possible sin. And so Jesus knows exactly how to respond. And how did he respond? He quoted scripture. It is written. In other words, it is 100% true and it is accurate and you have no power over it. And he chose to obey. So Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way and he chose to obey every time. And so that's the picture of what we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Yeah. Right. It's not your, it's not the physical parts. Yeah, right. So Colossians 1, if we turn there real quick, um, we'll hit these next verses. It's uh, right before 1 Thessalonians, if you have your finger still there. 9 through 14, we'll read. Um, and I'll just read this first three words for this reason. What is the reason? In a nutshell, if you back up to verse 6, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. That's the reason in a nutshell of the first verses up to verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, knowing, or excuse me, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's a big long breath of a sentence there. But uh, he's giving the description again it's his will to sanctify us. Um, it's his will to live, that we live a life worthy of him. It's his will that we please him in every way. It's his will that we bear fruit. So I like what Jim says, is there will be no non-fruit-bearing people in heaven. And so to put my own life on the, on the, on the floor here, I lived for decades 
thinking that I was saved, not producing fruit. Why? Well, because I read the Bible and, and somebody told me, if you just ask Jesus into your heart and ask him to forgive your sins, he'll do that. And okay, I did that. And then I go out and I continue to sin. I continue to live a life for myself. Nobody told me that if you study your Bible, he will bring you to a place where you live a life holy and worthy of the calling that he has called you to. He will show you how to produce fruit. He will show you how to serve and love one another above yourselves. He will show you how to, and, and you can go on and on and on of the, the fruit of the Spirit and the things that are commanded. Show, demonstrate kindness. Think about things that are spiritual. Think about, because since you have been crucified with Christ, Think about godly things. Think about heavenly things. Set your mind, transform your mind, and so on. And you can go on and on on passages of Scripture that describe those things. Yes? So there will be only fruit bearers in heaven. Then can you explain to me about the thief on the cross, about those who receive Christ on their deathbed, anything like that? How are they? Okay. Right. <laughs> yes, that's where I was going. Yes. Right. <laughs> to the guy down the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he, you know. Yeah. Right. To profess Jesus as Lord, yes. Yeah. The one who isn't. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't make any judgment about anybody who says, you know, there is a dying declaration or anything like that. I don't, I don't ever judge that person whether they really gave their life to Christ or not. But the example like that is if the opportunity to bear fruit is present and if, if there is someone who is on their deathbed and they're conscious, that means that there's another person there telling them about Christ or has been someone there telling them about Christ or even a nurse or a doctor or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, so there is in, in most cases, not all, but many cases, there is some sort of opportunity to say, Jesus is Lord. And if he is Lord, then that's what you can. Right, right, right. I don't, I, 
Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, from 32 to the grave of the rapture is what I will be judged on. So I could die, I could have died at 33, um, as Logan told us once it's found, and I will be held accountable for what God gave me as opportunity. Right. So I just wanted to add something to the thief on the cross, is what did the people watching say about Jesus when he died? Truly, he was the Son of God. And it, I don't think that it was that the thief had no influence on that. Now, he wasn't the final influence. The, all of the things that happened, the earthquake, the sun was darkened, uh, all of those things, you know, the veil was torn. Um, all of those things testified to Christ. But I think the thief on the cross was the one who was getting people to go to think. That was causing them to go, maybe he is who he says he is. Pay attention. And and got them to watch and observe and see what was going on. Yes. Right. So even to us, it's like, well, but I think in our eyes, it's kind of unfair. It's like, well, you know, we have these guys here. These are the servicemen for almost all of my life. Right. And this man here, <laughs> that's the thing, right? That's the opportunity. The most I will attain the love of Jesus, the love of God. I can't see that these guys get any worse because in that moment, he's like, you know what? I'm sorry. Lord, please forgive me. You are the Son of God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
Right. Where he someone at this time of the day and he goes out and works all day. Yeah. Just hours and hours later, he hires a guy that can only work an hour. And he pays him the same. Right. That's not fair. Yeah. Right, and the other pictures, even in the same in in that same day when Jesus was crucified, the people that come to my mind are Simon of Cyrene, um, Joseph of Arimathea, Zacchaeus, no, not Zacchaeus, Nicodemus. Okay, these are people that are in positions where they've come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and they know if they touch a bloody human being they cannot come into the temple for seven days. They cannot celebrate the Passover with their families. They can't do the things that they came there to do that were religious traditions that they've known for their whole life. And so for them to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and for Simon of Cyrene to look at his two sons and say, I have to do this. You don't understand today, but you will. And he goes and he picks up and, and walks with Jesus, and he's got blood all over him, and he thinks, possibly initially, this blood makes me unclean. And he realizes by the end of the day, no, it's the blood that cleanses me. And, and Jesus is... Yeah. Yes, because at the... <laughs> right, and that's in Romans 16, where he says, greet Rufus. Who's Rufus? It's Simon's son. And Paul says, thank God for, si for Rufus's mother, who was a mother to me spiritually. And so all of these things are all connected and they all come together. And so the same with Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate and Nicodemus is with him and says, can I have the body? And the high I just picture the high priest standing back like this. What does he think he's doing? If he touches that man, that dead body, he's not coming in here. And he's like, that's okay, because I won't need to come in there after I bury him. And he raises from the dead. I will never have to go back in there again the way that we have been. Oh, by the way, did you know the veil's torn? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, anyway, thank you for your attention. We'll pick it up with the second question. It took a little longer than I expected, but we'll pick up the second question next week and we'll continue on. God bless you guys.